that Terrence, he's pretty funny. If you don't know Terrence, Terrence is interns with us, is an important part of our Williamsburg campus, and uh, is, is really uh, Pastor Jamie's right hand, who also serves as our director of operations. And so, uh, we owe a great debt of gratitude to Terrence for all the work that he does, and then obviously he also makes us laugh a lot, as, uh, as you can see from, uh, from some of his offerings there in the video announcement. So, hey, just a couple more follow-ups for, uh, for the business meeting before we get into our series, the good news that we're in. The uh, couple of things that we're going to be voting on, so this is important for you to know so you can come uh, informed to the business meeting. We don't vote every year, but this is one of those years where we're going to be doing quite a bit of voting. So we're going to be voting on Steve and Kim Walls are going to be coming, uh, becoming trustees uh, in the church. We're going to be explaining that in great detail in the business meeting. So if you're not sure what that role is, then you want to be there that night as we talk about that. But Steve and Kim, again, we're gonna, they're already on the finance team, and now they're going to be chairing that as the trustees. So we're also going to be voting on Jason and Amy Kearney. Uh, becoming elders at the Suffolk campus, uh, and we're going to be voting on Steve and Lori Ruggiero becoming elders here at the Newport News campus. Uh, we're also going to be voting on Nate and Laura Nowatney and Steve uh, Ruggiero becoming regional elders, and so we're going to have local elders and regional elders because we have a governance team at every campus, and there's a regional team that oversees all of that. We'll be explaining that in greater detail uh, at, the, uh, at the business meeting. So, hey, we're also going to vote to undesignate. We have a, a a building fund that's got $75,000 in it. 50000 of that was raised in the first two years of the church, so nine and ten years ago, because the vision of the church back then when it was just about 100 people meeting in a movie theater is that they needed to, to, to buy a building. So that's not our vision anymore. Our vision now is to share space with other churches, and so we're going to vote to undesignate that 50 so that it can just become a part of our savings for a church. And so, uh, so we're going to be doing that as well. So if you have any questions about that, you can see me, uh, or you can talk to any of uh, the leaders, and they can uh, explain that uh, in greater detail. So, Father, we just we thank you for tonight. We thank you for uh, the, the work that you've already done in us through that amazing time of worship where we were just so awakened to your presence in this space. Father, we know that, 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 that we don't have to pray for your presence to come because your presence is here waiting for us when we get here. So, Father, we say let it be that your presence that is here, that fills this earth, Father, let it be that your presence would fill us, soften our hearts, open our minds to receive from your word. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. So I don't know how you spent your morning today. I spent my morning watching the mass that was on TV for Justice Scalia, uh, uh, incredibly moved by that. Love that his son, uh, who's a priest in D.C., was able to preside over that. I don't know how he did that. My father died uh, about a little over a year ago, and when he passed, my mother asked me, would you do dad's funeral? I said, I can't. I, I, I won't do it. I can't, I can't do it. I, I want to be a son that day. I can't be a a pastor, and so she, she understood. So I don't know how he got through that. And it, it, was a, it, it was amazing. And regardless of what your political persuasions are, you can't deny the statesman that he has been and that he was beloved by people that didn't like his views, but they loved him. And uh, that's an incredible legacy to leave. And, and may we all leave that kind of legacy. So I did, I did have a few humorous things as I was watching the Mass too. I thought, I really need one of those incense balls. Right? I mean, did anybody watch it? It's, it is awesome. There's this big ball and a chain, and they're burning incense. So I was like, I could design a whole service around that incense ball. And we're actually going to be talking next, uh, not, 
next uh, three, three weeks out when, when I'm going to, uh, David's pastor, David, come on, our new student ministries pastor's preaching next weekend. How great is that going to be? And then, uh, and then I'm doing a wedding the weekend after that. So Steve's going to be preaching and uh, hopefully newly elected regional elder. And, uh, and so he's going to be preaching. So then the third week after that, I'm going to be coming back and talking a lot about the symbolism that we understand in the Old Testament through the blood of the oil and the incense. And so this is the other thing I thought as I was watching that. How cool would it be to preach at least one time in your life where someone's standing next to you and turns all the pages for you, right? I was, I was watching the Mass, and there's somebody there that turns the pages as the priest gives the message. And then the last thought that I had was that if I ever wanted to be a Catholic priest, I really wouldn't have made it because they have to sing their prayers. And that would have not have been good for anyone, anyone for me. So I thought, you know, that's not going to be good. But, but, then, but then I had some funny moments, but then I had another serious moment as I was watching that. You know, I, I know that part of the Catholic belief is to pray for the deceased. I know that's a part of Catholicism, I, but I've not really connected why they do that to a theology. And so Justice Scalia's son explained that a little bit in his homily during the, during the Mass, is that when, when you become a Christian, and, and we believe this as Protestants, Jesus comes and lives inside of you, and Jesus is perfect. But the perfect work of Christ takes time. The, 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 the working out of, of Jesus' ministry in you to change you to be like Him, that's a lifetime of work. And in fact, you're never going to get all the way there. We believe that too, that the, the perfection of us because of who Jesus is inside of us, it's a lifelong journey. It's called discipleship. We believe that. So then he explained in his homily that, that what they believe is that because his dad died imperfect, even though there was a perfect Christ in him, he died in an imperfect state, that it was incumbent upon them as his friends and his family and as his church to pray for him because he cannot get into heaven until the work of Christ is perfected in him. Now that's where we differ. See, because we believe that because of who Jesus is inside of us, already perfect, that opens the door to heaven for us. There's nothing that we can do to earn our way into heaven. Is discipleship important? Absolutely. Discipleship and the, the work of Christ being perfected in me doesn't have anything to do with me getting into heaven, but it has a whole lot to do with heaven coming to earth. That's about me living a life that is fulfilled and me living a life of meaning and, and purpose and a sense of fulfilling my divine destiny. I did think that's a pretty good church growth plan. I did have to say that, right? Because if I believe that the only way that I get to get into heaven is if I have a, and, and I get in there sooner, is if I have more people praying for me after I die, then I'm going to be at every life group. I'm going to be at every church service, right? I'm going to volunteer in every ministry because I want as many people. So maybe we should start teaching that, right? Have... But you know, we're never going to teach that because that's an incredible burden for you to carry before you die and a burden to put on other people after you pass. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, which we're going to get to that at the end of the service, heaven is promised to you from day one. Because Jesus is perfect and he's paid it all. 
and the journey that we challenge you on here at City Life to become more like Him throughout your life is because we want you to experience heaven on earth. And the degree to which you experience heaven on earth is directly related to the change and the transformation that you submit your heart to along the way. It's why in this series we have these typewriters that's our visual imagery week in and week out because in Jeremiah 31, 33 we read this, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. And that's also a prophetic picture of the Christian church. So these verses are for us as well. It says, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. We want the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to not just be something that you understand here, but that is written on your heart and that it instructs the way that you live. I'm going to go back there. Okay. So, so let, me, let me just talk a little bit more about this idea of gospel. So every week in this series, we want to sow into the series, and then we're going to jump into the message. And if you've been following along, maybe you can track that pattern. So every week we talk a little bit about the series, and then we get into a message that's connected to the series. So the word gospel, we just keep saying this week in and week out, because I want you to understand how central of a theme it is to God's Word. Ninety-seven times from Matthew to Revelation, we see this word gospel appear, but it does it doesn't start in the New Testament. It starts in the Old Testament. This verse in 1 Chronicles 16, 23 says, Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Gospel, good news, God saves, starts in Genesis and takes us all the way through to Revelation. If you were to read that in the New American Standard, instead of good news, it says good tidings. In some translations, renders it glad tidings. The King James doesn't even put it in there because it just understands that whenever you talk about the salvation of God, that it's obvious that it's good. I have proclaim underlined there because I was listening to Pastor Justin, our Suffolk campus. Come on there, week four tonight. Week four, and you can clap for that. Come on. So I hope you're taking advantage, right, every weekend that you have a chance to be taught here, and then there's two podcasts of two great sermons out there on our website. And so I've been listening to Pastor Jamie and listening to Pastor Justin every week. And so Pastor Jamie last week did an amazing job of just kind of walking through the Old Testament into the New Testament, how the theme of the gospel tracks. And then uh, Pastor Justin, one of his uh, quotes from last week was that you might not be called to preach the gospel, but if you're a devoted follower of Christ, you're called to proclaim the gospel. All of us have a responsibility to walk in the fulfillment of 1 Chronicles 16, 23. We want the good news to be in you, and then we want it to be something that you're proclaiming through the life that you live. So, so let, me, let, me, let me give you this word tonight, atonement. Atonement. It's a big Bible word with a really simple meaning that has profound implications. If it means at one meant, if you break it up into those three parts, at one meant. It means to be at one with someone. It means to be reconciled to them. If you're married and you've been going to the marriage life group, then maybe you understand as you've been talking that there's times where you feel disconnected from each other, maybe because you've been having a conversation and, and there needs to be a moment of reconciliation, right, where you feel at one with that person 
again. When Jesus died on the cross, it's called an atoning death. He atoned for our sins because through his death, he made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. He made it possible for me to have a sense of knowing God and to have a sense of God knowing me. I want to teach you this phrase. I use this just about every week. In my times of prayer, I speak this over myself. I am at one with God, rescued from myself, just as if I'm perfect, because Jesus paid it all. Now, if I were to show you those four words, atonement, redemption, justification, and propitiation, they might be intimidating. But when you think of them as this statement, all of a sudden it makes sense, doesn't it? I'm at one with God, rescued from myself, just as if I'm perfect, because Jesus paid it all. I want to teach you that because I hope that you start speaking that over yourself. All through the book of Psalms, David prays for himself, sings to himself, ministers to himself. You can't be a Christian without being a little bit schizophrenic, right? You need to be having conversations with yourself. When you're experiencing temptation, you got to say to yourself, self, we're not going there today. We're not doing that, right? When the devil reminds you of somebody that did something to betray you, you got to say, brain, God gave you to me to serve me. I'm not serving you. We're not going to dwell on those thoughts. Emotions begin to well up inside of you that you know shouldn't be there. you got to sit. you gotta, you got to have a conversation with yourself. Anger? Shut up. Right? Not going to let my heart go there today. God gave you emotions to me to serve me. I don't serve, I don't serve you. You might be waking up tomorrow and maybe you're discouraged. The first thing you should say to yourself, I am at one with God rescued from myself, just as if I'm perfect, because Jesus paid it all. That's a great way, a great way to start your day with a little cup of espresso. All right, let me give you something that's a little more people-friendly. Maybe you're trying to invite someone to come and be a part of, uh, to visit here at City Life. Maybe it's a neighbor that doesn't have a church home, and they say, well, what are you guys talking about? And you can say, well, we're in this series called Good News, and, 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 and they say, well, what's that about, right? You don't have to necessarily throw these words like atonement and propitiation at them because they probably won't come, right? So, but you could say this. When they say, what's good news? What's the gospel? You can say, well, well for me, it means that, that I no, I'm going to heaven when I die and then I can experience heaven on earth while I'm here. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Is that you can live your life with a sense of confidence that when you breathe your last breath, you don't have to be dependent upon whether or not people pray for you to help you get there. You can know that you're going there because you've made a vow of devotion to Christ and what Jesus did for you on the cross is enough. It's perfect. To live every day of your life with the hope that heaven is waiting for you when you die, I'm telling you that words cannot express the feeling of peace that floods your heart when you live your life that way. Even when you make mistakes, even when you fall short, Jesus' love for you is big enough to rescue you. His grace is big enough to cover you. And heaven is waiting for you. And if that wasn't enough, that you can wake up every day asking the question, God, how am I going to experience the paradise that's there here? 
Because God does not want you to just put in your time here like it's some type of prison so you can get there. He starts us here to awaken our appetite for the paradise that's waiting for us there. And the way that he does that is he lets us have a foretaste, a little bit of an appetizer of that heaven here on this earth. It's why when Jesus was here ministering in John 10.10, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. It's called abundant life. Some translations render it. You know, Psalm 27, 13 is a foundational verse for our church. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here and now. The good news, the gospel, is that I can know that heaven's waiting for me then and that I can experience heaven here while I'm waiting. Okay, that's a little bit of digging into the foundation for the series. So I want to shift gears a little bit. And I want to talk about our message tonight. And we're going to be looking at a story in the Old Testament and how we can learn something about this idea of the good news. So we like a little bit of participation here at City Life. So, so who are some famous brothers in the Bible? Famous brothers in the Bible. Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron. Nice. Yes. Cain and Abel. Somebody else. The young people are showing you up. Jesus has a brother? Yep. All right, I'm going to move over here. Lazarus, but Lazarus wasn't his brother, though. But he did have a brother. James was one of his brothers. Nice. Can you give it up for RC? Come on. All right, somebody. Who else had a hand up over here? Who else had a hand up? Ben? Joseph? Joseph and Benjamin. Yeah, Yeah, or 12 other choices, right, Marvin? James and John. Somebody else, famous brothers. Jonathan? This makes you nervous when I come out here, doesn't it? That's why I like to do it. Jonathan? Jacob and Esau. Over here. Yes, the prodigal son had a brother. Very good. Come on, the parable brother. Somebody else? Anybody else? Famous brothers in the Bible. People like, don't look at the teacher. Somebody. Anybody else? Famous brothers in the Bible? Abraham and Lot. Somebody else? Anybody? Stan? Peter and Andrew. Yeah, right? You can go all throughout Scripture, and there's brothers all over the place from start to finish. How many of you have heard of Nadav and Abihu? Anybody? I knew Sharon was going to raise her hand, right? Jamal, come on. Nadab, right? All right, all right, okay. You're learning, though. You're learning. No, no, no. And Siri calls you Jemel, right? I know, I know. I'm not going to tell that story, though. I don't know if people are ready for that story. That's another story for another time. It's another story. All right, I'll start part of it. So part of it. I called Jamal the other day, and he was using Siri. When he, when he answered the phone, I said, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but all right, I'm going to say it anyways. Right. I said, Jamal, I, I, I had a revelation. Siri is white. <laughs> because to her, you are Jemel, and she should know how to say your name. Man, okay, all right, okay, yeah, so... So, 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 right, there's brothers all over. Nadav and Abihu, right? Nobody knows who they are. 
And in, in fact, these are the stories in the Bible that here at City Life, we, we camp on these because if God put them in there, there's something that we're supposed to learn. And I'm telling you, the, this story of these, these brothers is one of the most profound stories that you're going to find in the entire, the entire Old Testament. All right, so let's go there together. You ready? I know I've, I've awakened your appetite for it, right? All right, Exodus 24, 9 through 11. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadav, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, they went up. Now I'm going to talk about these parenthetical clauses and why I'm showing you the Amplified Bible. The mountainside, they, they saw, and it says here, a manifestation of the God of Israel. And under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire. And just as clear as the sky itself, Verse 11, yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the Israelites. And here it is again. They saw the manifestation of the presence of God and ate and they drank together. Now, I like the Amplified Bible. I use the Amplified Bible often in my own study because it will amplify the meaning of words. Where I don't like the Amplified Bible is when it begins to amplify a theological persuasion or a theological perspective. I don't think that's what the Amplified Bible is there for. I think it's supposed to help us understand the words, but I think it needs to stay out of inserting theology. And right here, there's an insertion of theology in this parenthetical clause of they saw a manifestation of. I don't think they saw a manifestation of God. I think they saw his presence. And the reason I think they saw his presence, because if they had not seen his presence, if it was just a manifestation, then I don't think the beginning of verse 11 would be there, right? It's saying, yet he did not stretch out his hand against them, meaning that they were in the presence of a living God, but even though he's perfectly holy and they're completely sinful, even in that moment, God did not stretch out his hand against them. Now, we know that God, even in the Old Testament, has the power to allow people to be in his presence. He does it with Moses, and he does it with the high priest once a year. If there's not room in your theology for some mystery, then I would say your theology is broken. If you can get God in your box, then you don't have God in there. I think this is a prophetic foretelling of the marriage feast of the Lamb. I think this is a prophetic foretelling of what one day is going to come for all of us in paradise, in the new heaven, in the new earth, when we all gather for Christ and there's this great and grand feast that the Bible speaks of. I think God, right before, right before he's about ready to install the ministry of Levitical priests, where he makes it so that only the high priest can be in his presence and only one time a year on the Day of Atonement, right? That I think right before he puts that limitation in place, he says, I want to give the world a glimpse of what's to come, that there will come a day when people will be able to be in my presence without having to be afraid of my wrath, without having to be afraid of my judgment, that we are going to be able to feast together even though he's perfect and we are not, we're going to be able to share in perfect communion and in perfect fellowship with him, which is why the eating and the drinking was an important part of this picture. If we're not careful, we can push past these stories as if they're just history. They are history. We believe in the historicity of the Bible. We believe that God wants to give us the history, but we also believe he's trying to teach us something about the gospel, 
about the good news, that there is a story that he's trying to tell, and he tells it through stories just like this. Moses has a couple of sons, Nadav and Abihu. In fact, he has four sons. And it's understood that the other two aren't mentioned here because they're still a little bit younger. They're not right, quite ready to step into their priestly ministry. These are his two oldest sons. And they're going up into this experience because they're supposed to learn from Aaron. They're supposed to be the next generation that carries the ministry of the Levites forward. Now, I've underlined two parts here. They saw and they saw. Now, sometimes as we're reading the Bible in English, it sounds a little bit redundant, right? It, it seems a little bit repetitive at times. And, and part of that is because the English language is not as precise as Hebrew, and it's not as precise as the Greek. There's a precision in those language that leads to a depth of understanding that gives us greater insight. And the word here to see in verse 10 is different than the word to see in verse 11. I want you to think about everything that you saw today. Everything. Everything that you looked at was an act of seeing. It's overwhelming, right, to think. If you had to make a list of everything that you've seen today, right, it would almost be impossible because everything that you look at with your eyes open is an act of seeing. This first word in the Hebrew is ra'ah, ra'ah, and it means the simple act of seeing. It just means that you looked at something. It means that you understood what you saw. It means that you recognized what you saw. It means that there was comprehension with what you saw. Now this next word, it's a little bit different. It's, it's the Hebrew word hazah. And it means that when you saw it, it captured your heart. It means that when you saw it, it stirred your soul. It means that when you saw it, you were enamored. I remember the first day that I saw Vanessa. It was a ra'ah moment that soon became a huzzah moment, right? The first time you hold your child in your hands, it starts as a ra'ah moment. It's just seeing, it's looking, it's comprehending, it's visualization. But that ra'ah becomes huzzah in an instant where your heart is captured, where it stirs you, it changes you. It could be that there have been times in your life where you've been desperate for God and maybe you take a walk at the beach and it's at sunset and you see that sun begin to set and you experience the presence of God begin to well up inside of you and you look at the beauty of the world that's around you. It starts as ra'ah, but it soon becomes hazah where you realize that God has created this world for you to live in, for your pleasure, for your enjoyment, and to reveal his glory. You tracking with me? You have experienced ra'ah from the day that you were born, if you can see. And from the day that you were born, because you can see, there have also been haza moments for you where it stirs you, where there is a, an emotional response to what you're looking at. These two words are given to us because it's trying to teach us something about the good news. It says they saw Ra'ah, the God of Israel, and under his feet appeared a payment of sapphire. It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't just something mundane. 
But it just began with them being willing to look. It wasn't something that happens every day. But at some point, they had to stop and look and reflect and consider what they were seeing. Ra'ah, that's what it means. And then I like in verse 11 that it comes back and says, Haza. It means that this moment that first began with them looking and seeing, and I think right part of it is just them trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. This is the God, this is the God of the universe. I'm in his presence. Why am I not dead, right? I mean, they're trying to figure all this out. But at some point, something began to happen to them. Maybe you came in here tonight for the worship and you just started out with a little bit of ra'ah just looking at the words on the screen. But if you're like many of us, that ra'ah soon became haza because you were overwhelmed by the presence of God. God is trying to help us to understand that every haza moment begins with a ra'ah moment. You've got to put the time in to look and to see so that you can be enamored. You've got to put the time in to look and to see so that it can capture your heart. You've got to be willing to put a little bit of effort to open your eyes to understand what you're looking at. And if you'll do that, then all of a sudden, this thing called the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it can capture your heart. That's why for us, even in the nursery and in workshop, we, we work hard. That's not child care for us. It's the ministry of Ra'ah. It's the ministry of exposing them to the story of the, the stories of the Bible, the people of the Bible. It's about helping them to see what community looks like and relationship looks like, helping them to see what conflict resolution looks like if you've ever worked in the nursery. You with me? Everything in our life as Christians begins as Ra'ah, but it's supposed to at some point become Hazah. But if you don't put the time in to look and to learn, to see, then you're never going to come to this place of your heart being captured by the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you never get to this place where your heart's captured by it, then it's just information when it's supposed to be transformation. That's why we have a teaching pulpit here at City Life. It's why we do life groups here at City Life. It's why serving in ministry is such an important part of life at City Life. It's why we do missions, and that list goes on and on and on and on and on because we want you to begin to see the truth of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ so that you can go from verse 10 seeing to verse 11 seeing where you can't imagine your life without it. I talk to people sometimes and they say, I can't remember the last time I've been in church. Maybe 10 years or so. That's sad to me. Because I think, I don't want to imagine my life without it. Because that's a hazah for me. For them, it's just ra'ah. It's just information. It's something to do. We want to be a church where people have lived a, a mediocre Christianity because it's only ever been about the ra'ah and we want them to experience the hazah. We want them to walk out going, I don't know what just happened, but I want some more of that next Saturday, right? We want people to walk out of the worship and say, yeah, it might have been a little bit too loud, and maybe I couldn't see the words because the person in front of me was dancing, and I thought the person next to me was going to hit me in the eye because they kept raising their hand, but I can't wait to come back next Saturday because I couldn't stop crying. We want them to go from ra'ah to hazah. 
And when you go from seeing to seeing, then we walk in a place of being responsible for the revelation that we've been given. I'm not going to read this tonight for the sake of time, but in Mark 9, 1 through 8 is the story of of, 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 of Jesus' transfiguration where he sheds his humanity and, and, and Peter, James, and John see him in the fullness of his glory. This is a great example of a moment going from Ra'ah to Hazah. Just throwing that out, it's in you version if you're following along through that app, Mark 9, 1 through 8. It's a great verse that you can read out of the New Testament. All right, now let's jump to Leviticus because this story of these two brothers are not over yet. Nadav and Abihu. All right, we're jumped, jumping over to Leviticus. Some time has passed. We're, we're moving forward through history. And right here in the beginning of, 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 of their priestly ministry, it says, Aaron's sons, Nadav and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire. And one translation renders it a strange fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up. It's hard work being a pastor. It's risky. And they died there before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, I'm so sorry for your loss, brother. That's not what he says. There's not words of comfort here. There's not words of encouragement here. And I'm not saying that we're supposed to follow this model. That's not my point. My point is that they understood, Moses and Aaron understood, that there was a sacred responsibility that they had been given to begin to tell the story of the gospel even in their day. And that when we mess with God's story, as we talked about last week, it's serious business This is what the Lord meant when he said, this is Moses talking to Aaron, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. Meaning if you come near me in a way that you're not supposed to. It's Moses saying to Aaron, we cannot forget, Aaron, that this is serious business. We've been chosen as a people that will become a nation that's one day going to reveal to the world how people can be reconciled to him. We cannot move forward in our responsibilities with contempt in our heart. In fact, I think what Moses is saying to Aaron, when you go from I see to I see to so what, look out. When I go from I see to ra'ah to I see hazah to who cares to contempt, look out. Can you imagine these two brothers, what they saw? On that day, when they saw the literal presence of God on this pavement of sapphire, and they sat and they ate and they drank with the creator of the universe. And yet, not too long after, here they are. Who cares? So what? We're going to just do it our way instead of his way. See, because at the end of the day, God doesn't care about which coal comes from which altar that goes in the incense burner that they made a mistake about. It's the attitude of the heart that God says, I will not tolerate that. It's them saying to God, oh, I see you, and I see you, but my way is better. 
It's them saying, I see you and I see you, but I'm going to do it my way, not yours. And when you have been given the responsibility to lead other people in their seeing and their seeing so that they can be enamored with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you begin to display an attitude of indifference that begins to say, maybe I know how to do it just a little bit better than the creator of the universe, I would say, be careful. That's a dangerous attitude to let be in your heart. Does that mean that Nadav and Abihu didn't go to heaven? I don't think so. I don't. I can't, I can't convince you of that. I think they went to heaven. I do. I think God says, you're just in a permanent timeout. You're done here. You're done. You're coming home. See, if you read the Bible that every time God kills somebody in the Old Testament that he's sending them to hell, you're reading the Bible the wrong way, people. You're reading it the wrong way. Right? Now, sometimes it explains that. But I think here, I, I think, right? I think he said, you, you're coming home. You're coming. You're dangerous. You can't do what you're doing because you saw and you saw and now you have a so what attitude. You can't lead my people that way. I will display I will display my glory before all people. See, he says, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. Meaning that God was saying the world needs to understand through this priestly ministry and all the parts of Leviticus that wears us out in our Bible reading plan. It's in there because God is trying to write on our hearts this idea that he is holy and we are not. So we can have a desperation revelation and realize how much we need him to save us. So all of these rules, it's not because God's got an ego problem or because he's just, he's, he's, he's OCD and he's, everything's got to be in the right place. He's trying to say, no, no, this system is set up to teach the world something about his holiness and our sinfulness so that he can reveal his glory. And the way that he reveals his glory is by saving us when we don't deserve it. He reveals his glory by teaching us that he's holy and teaching us that we're sinful and then saying in spite of all that, one day I'm going to send my son into the world. He's going to die an atoning death so that you can be at one with me. These stories that we're reading here in Leviticus, it's about the good news and the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is another sermon for another time, but that little sentence there, and it says, and Aaron was silent, is a reminder that Aaron suffered from passivity. Passivity. I'm just telling you right now, fathers and husbands, passivity is one of the greatest sins that we will ever commit in this world. You can think about all the immoral things that we know that we're not supposed to do. But if you keep yourself from all of those things, but are passive as a spiritual leader in your home with your wife and with your children, then you're an Aaron and not a Moses. We have a responsibility in our home to set the pace for spiritual well-being. We have a responsibility in our homes to help our family go from I see to I see to I can't imagine my life without it. Okay, I keep saying that's another sermon for another time, but... Then I keep preaching it. All right, what else? What else? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. So now, right, the next time you're in a service like this and somebody says, who are famous brothers? You can say Nadav and Abihu, right? And the pastor's going to say, who is that, right? So let me tell you the story of when I, when I was arrested for the first time. 
Yep. And only time. <laughs> I let that linger a little bit just to see. Was that you, Rowan? Yeah, first, no. First time and only time. So Vanessa had, had, uh, had, had been married for, I don't know, about a year or so. And, and her, her dad, who was then the pastor of a church in Williamsburg called Christian Life Center, that's now Life Church. It's, interesting. it's the church that planted us. And, uh, and, and Vanessa and I were living in Richmond at the time, and, and uh, we were on staff at a church there, uh, Mechanicsville Christian Center, just outside of Richmond. And, 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 the, and, and Tom's birthday was coming up, and, and, and people in his church, he, he was, he's an avid golfer, and they said, let's surprise him, let's surprise him with, with a, a surprise golf day down on the Outer Banks. And it's, it's in early March, and, uh, and, and they're a little bit devious, which is, is, is why we're maybe a little bit that way here, too, if you've been a part of us for any amount of time, right? And, and so they said the way we're going to get him to the church and surprise him is that, because we had to leave early, early before the sun, sun came up to get to our tea time, we're going to tell him that the church is on fire. I know, it's great, isn't it? And we're gonna and, and so his wife, my mother-in-law, had packed his bag after he'd gone to bed and put everything in his car that he was going to need. And so when they woke him up, like to, to call him to say, you've got to come down, the church is on fire, right? He rushes down to the church and we're all there, right? This this crowd of people to surprise, you know. And, uh, and then tell him we're all good. We hop in our cars and we're going to drive down to the, the Outer Banks. And so we hop in our cars. We're caravanning down there. And so I had to stop and use the, the restroom. And, we, you know, we'd all had about 85 cups of coffee by then. And so I had gotten separated from the caravan. And so with me and the three guys that were with me, I thought, you know, and there's nobody on the road down there at this time of morning. The sun's still not up yet. And I was like, I'm going to catch up to the caravan, right? And not too long after that, I see these blue lights off behind me. So I pull over, and he pulls over and says, hey, do you know how fast you were going? I said, no, sir. And I didn't. I'm just racing to catch up. And he said, could you step out of the car, please? I was like, sure. And so I step out of the car, and he's asking me, what are you doing? I explain the story about how we're, we're going to play, do a golf day. And, and he said, well, I'm going to need you to turn around. So I'm thinking, Maybe he's got to search me. And the next thing you know, I feel him putting my hands together behind my back. I'm right. I'm like, speeding is serious in North Carolina, right? Well, apparently my speed is serious in North Carolina. So if you're more than 20 miles over the speed limit, they arrest you on the spot, book you, process you, so that you can't just be the out-of-town person that says, well, I just don't care. I'm not going to pay that ticket and go, right? When you've been arrested, oh, you've got to show up at court, right? So I kid you not, right? I'm thinking, what is happening? I'm just trying to honor my father-in-law, right? And I'm in jail. So these guys that are with me have to go to an ATM, get enough money to post my bail, waiting for the magistrate. It took a couple of hours. We show up to catch up with the golf game. Some freak snowstorm blows in in early March at the beach, and we can't even play. We have to get in our cars and drive home. It's the most expensive game of golf I've ever played in my entire life. So this is my question to you. Why am I telling you that story? A friend of mine was telling me uh, attends Liberty Baptist, great church in the area. They had an evangelist come in and this is the question that he asks and I'm going to ask you tonight. See, because I had to show up at court because I knew I was guilty and there was more than enough evidence to convict me. 
If you were arrested right now for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were arrested right now for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in a court of law to pass judgment on you? Listen to these verses in 1 John. I call 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John straight talk right out of the Bible, right? He doesn't pull any punches. 1st John 6, listen to this. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Listen to verse 8. If we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Chapter 2, verse 4 says this. If someone claims I know God, but he doesn't obey the commandments, that person is a liar and is not living the truth. What's John saying? He's saying, if you were arrested for being a Christian, they would probably release you right away because there's no evidence in your life. This thing that you're saying is being lived out through the choices that you make. See, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ begins with ra'ah, and it has to get to a place of hazah so that we come to a place where it's supposed to define who I am and everything about how I live. That my identity is supposed to be in Christ first above all else. I'm not a father who's also a Christian. I'm a Christian who's a father. I'm not a husband who's a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus who's also married. I'm not a pastor who's a Christian. I'm a Christian who's a pastor. At some point, my belief in Jesus is supposed to be the center of who I am. So I'm going to invite you to bow your head with me. We just want to create a moment of privacy. Come on, we've got a few minutes here. Just want to create a moment of privacy right here. If you're here tonight, and as you look back into the story of your life, If you cannot find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that's going to embarrass you. I just just want to create a moment for you to say, Fred, as I look into the story of my life, I cannot find a moment in time where I've made a vow of devotion to Christ. Anybody here tonight? So let me ask you this question. You're here tonight and you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. There's been a haza moment for you at some point in your journey where he captured your heart. But as you look over the, maybe the last several months, maybe the last few years, you would say to me tonight, Fred, if I were to be arrested for being a Christian, I'm not sure there would be enough evidence to convict me. If that's you, I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand. Just gonna invite you to raise your hand right where you are. Yes, ma'am, here in the front. Yes, ma'am, over there in the back. Somebody else. Come on, it's just your moment. Just a moment of honesty, just between you and the Lord. It's just your way of saying, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Come on, hands popping up all over the place. It feels good, doesn't it? Confession is good for the soul. It's good. We're going to stand up. and I'm going to pray. We're going to stand up in just a minute. 
And this is what I'm going to invite you to do. There, there are some people that are in the back over here to the side, and there's going to be somebody else over here on this far side on this other corner back here. If, if you raised your hand tonight, I'm just going to encourage you as we sing, as we sing, find your way to one of these couples in these back corners and, and just ask them to pray for you to find the strength for your faith in Christ to begin to instruct the way that you live. Stand with me. Father, I pray for every person here tonight who needs to step into that moment of prayer. Father, I pray for every person that's here tonight that that, that there was a ra'ah and now there's a hazah and something is stirring in their heart where they they see that there needs to be change and there's, and there's a desire in their heart for transformation. Father, I pray that they would not let this moment pass them by, that they're going to find the courage to step out of their seat and go back there and say, would you pray for me tonight? And, and, and just let there be a ministry of prayer. Father, we know that there is a work that you can do in us that is supernatural, that is otherworldly. And that even if we do the best that we can, we're never going to get far enough without the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. So let it be that tonight, that people here would leave different than they came. As Vanessa shared in that worship wrap-up, that this might be a moment for someone tonight to say, I know that he loves me, but I want to feel that he loves me. That this would be their moment. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.